Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. If you were in Charleston, West Virginia on Sunday morning and walked outside to pick up your daily paper, you would have seen an op-ed with a very clear headline that read, Joe Manchin, colon, why I'm voting against the For the People Act. It wasn't unexpected. The op-ed was consistent with what Manchin's said in the past, but it just put into plain and certain terms. Democrats' big bill to combat voter suppression was getting Manchin. An effort by Democrats to create new federal laws for state elections has hit a roadblock in their own party. Senator Joe Manchin has come out against the For the People Act, effectively killing progressive signature legislation. By taking it off the table, haven't you empowered Republicans to be obstructionists? Joe Manchin has become the new Mitch McConnell. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, how would you define the term getting mansioned? <laughs> um, I think it's something that everybody in Washington is learning what it means. But in the context of what I cover, getting mansioned is what happened over the weekend with HR1, which is the big sweeping elections and ethics and campaign finance reform package that Democrats have hung their hopes on. Uh, and they got mentioned because Manchin said he wouldn't support it. Zach Montalero on what's in HR1, why it got mentioned, and what's next in the fight over voting legislation. Whew. I feel like I need to like lie down to take a little breather to cool off from the uh, the intensity of our getting mansion song there. <laughs> so uh, let's let's tone it down a notch by digging into the page by page details of some legislation. You ready to do that, Zach? Sure. Okay. What exactly is the For the People Act? What is HR one? So what the For the People Act is, is just a massive, 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 and one more massive bill that basically every type of good government reformer has hung their hat on over the last few years. Uh, it is, I believe, 800 plus page bill. It's big. That's a lot of pages. It's a lot of pages with three <laughs> broad divisions. First section is on voting and voting access. It's easily the most discussed section. Mm -hmm. What this would do is basically create a whole bunch of federally mandated floors for elections in states. And what I mean by that is, is create a whole bunch of requirements across the country about how and where people can vote. Um, this is easily the biggest federal election change in decades, and it would just result in really sweeping changes. And some of those floors are... Things like requiring same-day voter registration and automatic registration, hmm. um, allowing for no-excuse absentee voting, meaning anyone who wants to vote via the mail will be allowed to do so. Uh -huh. uh, requiring early voting, you know, dictating how people can vote, how, how polling places are situated, things like that. And it would create the same standard across all 50 states and the District of Columbia, because right now there are certainly some federal requirements, but every state does voting a little bit differently. I want to talk about why Manchin and others are opposed to this. But first, what is the argument for 
this legislation? Like why there should be these floors across the country for voting? They argue that we need these floors first and foremost because not every state has equal access to the ballot. That's true. My home state in New York, as of right now, and this will likely change, but as of right now, as of, you know, early June 2021, you can't choose to vote via the mail if you wanted to. Hmm. We do not in New York state offer expansive in-person early voting. You know, some states just have more access to the ballots than others. That was true before the 2020 election. That was true when this first passed the House in 2019. And advocates and Democrats say that on a purely fairness level, people need to have easy and routine access to the ballot box. And the best way to do that is not state by state, but setting those federal floors. To take it on a new sort of urgency after the 2020 election, because, of course, of what now former President Donald Trump does and says and what he has inspired. The president's Republican allies are standing by his false claims about the election. And although courts have shot down dozens of lawsuits seeking to overturn the election, Senator Josh Hawley is digging his heels in and saying his objection to the election is legitimate. Legislatures in 47 states are considering voting bills that the nonpartisan Brennan Center for Justice deems restrictive. What has happened is that he has inspired Republican state legislatures to introduce legislation or in some cases laws that will in some way, shape or form add barriers, add restrictions to the ballot box. Um, We saw a law in Georgia and Texas being maybe the two most prominent cases right now. Georgia's SB 202 is law. It adds certain restrictions. Georgia's sweeping new election law, President Biden calling it Jim Crow in the 21st century. Governor Kemp behind closed doors signing the bill into law last night. A state lawmaker arrested, knocking on his office door, asking to witness the signing. In my mind, one of the most notable ones is how it uh, shortens the runoff period after Republicans lost a pair of Senate runoffs, which will naturally shorten the early voting period. Mm -hmm. Um, It adds ID requirements to mail ballots that didn't previously exist Mm -hmm. and will make it harder for certain folks to vote. And then in Texas, SB7, which is not law because Texas Democrats were able to kill it at least temporarily at the last minute. In Texas this morning, Democrats are vowing to fight on after blocking a Republican effort to impose sweeping new voting restrictions, staging a last minute walkout from the House chamber Sunday night. But advocates for HR1 say, look, has what happened in just the you know, six-ish months since Joe Biden has taken office, since, you know, state legislatures have started their new session. Republicans are trying to pass laws that will make it harder to vote, uh, make it more onerous for some people to vote. And that's why they say they need it. So over the weekend, Joe Manchin mentioned this. He came out against it. Why is he against this bill? Yeah, so, you know, Joe Manchin over the weekend came out against the bill saying he won't vote for it because it doesn't have bipartisan support. He's right. It doesn't have bipartisan support. There are 49 senators who have signed on to co-sponsor this bill. I'll give you a hint. All 49 of them are Democrats. Joe Manchin is the one uh, person who has not. He hasn't raised too many particular complaints about certain sections. Mm -hmm. Just says, if we're going to change election laws, and we do, we need to protect voting rights is what Senator Manchin says. It needs to be done in a bipartisan fashion. That If it doesn't have bipartisan buy-in, uh, it will only hurt in the long run. Um, this is, of course, both incredibly frustrating to more or less uh, every other Democrat in the Senate, or at least a good number of them who are very publicly for this bill, and of course very frustrating to these voting rights groups too, because by and large, Republicans have not signed on to voting uh, legislation at the federal level. Um, citing that they, you know, they believe this is best left up to the states to give 
you know, their argument for it. What does Manchin's opposition really mean here? You know, I think Manchin's opposition both means an incredible, a lot of things for HR1, and it means nothing at all, and I'll explain mm-hmm. them both. Um, it means an incredible amount of things because this more or less kills HR1 as currently constituted. Joe Manchin said he wasn't going to vote for it, even if every other Senate Democrat does vote for it, and 49 of them are co-sponsors. That is not a majority in the U.S. Senate. That does not become law. Conversation's over. Mm -hmm. But the reason why I said this means nothing at all is because the question I've had in my mind, and I remember making calls about this even back in February, is, well, in the U.S. Senate, you, for many pieces of legislation, you require a 60-vote threshold because of the filibuster. Yeah. Um, Senator Manchin has also opposed modifying or changing the filibuster for for anything, let alone election legislation, and he's not the only one. Kristen Sinema, who is a supporter of H.R. 1, said she wouldn't. Other Senate Democrats, much more quietly, they're very happy to let Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema take the heat for this, but aren't necessarily on board to changing the filibuster as well. So, you know, the question that's been in my mind, you know, maybe not January 6th, because there's other things going through my mind at the moment, maybe January 7th, um, when I thought it was a possibility that Democrats will bring back H.R. 1 after they passed it in the House in 2019 and it died in the Senate is, well, how do you get over the filibuster? And that question has been unanswerable from that day. You know, it's really a binary choice for Democrats is, do you pass H.R. 1? Do you pass the Voting Rights Advancement Act? Do you pass a whole slew of legislation, not just on voting rights? Or do you maintain the filibuster? That's the choice they have to make. And it seems right now that there's enough people in the caucus who side with the filibuster. So what happens next here? I mean, you have states starting to pass laws that change, you know, the way voting is done in their states, in some cases restricting voting for people. Um, What do you think will happen here? Uh, So I think there will still probably be a vote on H.R. 1. Senator Schumer, uh, Majority Leader Senator Schumer, has um, said that failure is not an option and we will vote on this in the last legislative week of June. Hmm. But, I mean, let's presume the obvious that Joe Manchin does, in fact, not vote for it. And even if he did, that the filibuster survives, you know, what comes next? That's a big question. Um, What Senator Manchin wants to see is he wants to see a vote on the Voting Rights Advancement Act, otherwise known as the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Act. Mm. And what that would do very briefly is restore preclearance requirements to the 1965 uh, Voting Rights Act, which in 2013, a Supreme Court effectively ruled that the preclearance requirements were unconstitutional, saying they need to update the formula. And what that means is that certain states and jurisdictions under the original Voting Rights Act had to have their changes in election law pre-cleared by either a court in D.C. or the Department of Justice. The Supreme Court said, well, we think this formula is outdated. You need to update this. Um, And it's been effectively ineffective since 2013, since that decision. Joe Manchin has been pushing for people to come up with a new formula, pass a new formula that is the VRAA, the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Act. And he maintains that there is bipartisan support for that. Um, I don't know where that bipartisan support is coming from. Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska has been the lone Republican. She's kind of pushed for it with Manchin. She's the lone Republican to kind of, in the Senate at least, to take that stance publicly. But that's where Joe Manchin wants this to go. Let's say there were enough support for that and it did get passed. Would that do anything to like the Georgia laws that have already been passed or would it only apply to things that come up in the future? Yeah, that's the push and pull with the VRAA. Activists who've been pushing for HR1 for for years, voting rights activists who've said it's not enough that the VRAA alone is incredibly important, but it doesn't add that floor. And that's true. That's 
entirely true, but restoring that pre-clearance requirement would be a, a shift at least over the last decade, certainly. It's not nothing. It's not a half measure. It would be a major change. Zach Montalero, thanks so much for talking with me. Jeremy Siegel, thanks for having me back. Also today, federal investigators have been able to recover more than half of the $4.4 million ransom payment the Colonial Pipeline made to hackers who froze its computers and forced the shutdown of its massive fuel distribution system. The Biden administration announced the recovery on Monday, saying officials were able to locate and seize the funds from a virtual currency account used by the hackers. It represents a rare bit of good news for the White House as it rushes to fix digital weaknesses in the U.S.'s critical infrastructure and also bolsters federal officials' argument that companies can help fight back against a rising tide of ransomware attacks if they cooperate with government investigations. And just over half of Americans support Facebook's move to ban former President Trump from the platform for two years. The company announced last week that the account would be suspended until at least 2023, setting a timeline for his potential return after Facebook's oversight board criticized a previously indefinite ban over his posts during the January insurrection. According to a new poll from Politico and Morning Consult, 51% of Americans strongly or somewhat support Facebook's move, but the responses were largely divided along party lines, with just 15% of Republican voters in favor of the suspension. This episode included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to subscribe to Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and also check out some of our other shows, like Politico Energy and the Playbook Daily Briefing. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.